let me introduce myself. My name is uh, Jake. I'm the young adult college-age pastor here at Res Life Church. We meet on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. in this room. Um, so I, I lead that group. It's a phenomenal group. There, I, this is what I say to people. I say, it, literally, it's nothing that I've done. The, the things that we're doing, the thing that God's doing with our young people here at Res Life. It's, there's nothing that I've done, nothing that I could ever do. To start off, I was raised by two phenomenal parents, um, Bernie and Kim Blaukamp, who, who work here, part of the pastoral staff. And I say, that, I say to people, there, there's, nothing I, there's nothing I could have done. I had two parents who modeled Christ's love, who modeled faith, who modeled grace, who modeled perseverance, who modeled consistency my whole life. And then, I, and then I get to a place to where I'm in a position of influence at, at, at Resurrection Life Church, leading this young adult group, and, and God just blesses me with these, with these leaders and these people who are just hungry and passionate for God, passionate to see God move, passionate to see their city and their nation and their world transformed by the love of Christ. And this is what I say to people, quite frankly. I say, I, if something were to happen to me, I have 12 people that I'm 100% confident that could take over my job and and it, we wouldn't skip a beat. Um, and there might be even more than 12 people. Just, I, I say that just to say of the, the phenomenal team and the phenomenal like, leaders that we have um, here at Res Life with our young people. Um, but before we, as we get going here, um, I just want to pray before we get started. Dear God, I thank you for this time that we have together. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are so present all the time. But God, we just put our attention on you. We put our focus Unto you, Holy Spirit, I ask that you prepare our hearts and prepare our ears to hear your word and hear the truth. And God, we know that the truth sets us free. God, so we just declare that your truth is going to be spoken tonight, God, and your Holy Spirit is going to solidify and cement that truth into our lives so that we can be transformed, so that we can become the people that you've always created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So this isn't in my notes, but I, I want to share it as we finish those songs. So we said... You know, he's sitting on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. God's on the throne. He's on the throne. Um, and I was having, uh, the way my mind works, my mind is kind of like weird. It's like all over the place. Um, so I'm th- sitting there, and sometimes I like to just like dig through the lyrics. You know, he's on the throne. He's on the throne. And the verse in Ephesians 2 comes to my mind. It says, you know, we're seated with him. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So we get at this picture of, of God's on the throne. Jesus is at the right hand. So we have God in heaven on the throne, Jesus at the right hand, and then it says that we're seated with him. So I'm thinking, okay, he's on the throne. I'm like, I'm on the throne. And this is where my mind goes, and all of a sudden I had this other thought that says, well, Jake, let's just focus on God's on the throne. We'll just get over the fact that you're on the throne. Just focus on God's on the throne. Let's just focus on God. And all of a sudden, I started to have this conversation in my mind. And this is, I'm telling you, this is my way my brain works. And then all of a sudden, I feel like God's saying, listen, Jake, you know that I'm on the throne. What you need to understand is you're on the throne with me. And what this congregation needs to understand, what we all need to understand, even though we might know it, we need to understand it in our heart, is that we, God has raised us up in Christ, seated us in the heavenly places. And that we're seated next to Christ in heavenly places. Let me read Ephesians 2 for you. It says, verse 1, if you want to follow along, Ephesians 2. And you, made, and, and you made me alive 
who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you were once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were made by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Basically meaning we're all messed up. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do that? Listen, let's verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I think for a lot of us, it's really easy to say God's, like he's exalted, he's above all other names, he's up, and that's true. I'm not saying that's not true. That's the truth. But I think the truth that we need to hear is that we are seated with him, whether you know it or not. And the thing that God desperately so wants us to know, he wants us to get inside of our brains, is that our past mistakes do not define where we're at. Just because we make a mistake or just because we're not in a place where we want to be doesn't disqualify us from the position that is rightfully ours in Christ. We're seated with him. <laughs> We're gonna get we're gonna get more into this. This is more connected than I ever thought as I'm going into this. So we're gonna get started um, with what we got for tonight. So um, I'm gonna bring a, I'm 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 gonna share a message, and I don't even know if it's a message. I think it's more of just a conversation, more of a talk, because it's just something that's so. I, I, this topic is something that I'm so passionate about. I literally could speak about this and talk about this every day for the rest of my life, and I would I would not run out of words. We're going to talk about love tonight. We're going to talk about love, and I know we talk about love a lot in the church, but this is a phrase that I heard, and I think it applies. If you heard it already, some people say, well, I already heard it. We, were, we just talked about, Leanne Seaborn just talked about love a few weeks ago, and then Josh talked about, Josh Vanderclaw talked about love on Wednesday night. I don't, need to, I don't need to hear about love anymore. Listen, if you ever heard it, if, you're, if you haven't become the word that you've just heard, then you need to hear it again. So become the word that you heard. Don't just let listen to it. We've got to become the word. So we're going to be talking about love. And the goal, of my, the goal of tonight, the goal of what we're going to be talking about is not for you and for me to walk out of this room and, and love better. So the goal of this is not for us to be more loving. And you might be saying, whoa, like isn't, is, aren't we supposed to apply this and like be more loving later on? Yeah. You see, because I think we can actually get into a performance mode where we read scripture, we see what we're supposed to look like in our own strength, we try to become the, the, the scripture that we've read instead of becoming the person that God sees us as. So we get in this performance mindset where we have this picture of what we're supposed to look like. We're pursuing that picture instead of pursuing the person who allows us to become that picture. So tonight, I'm not going to tell you to be more patient. I'm not going to tell you to be more kind. I'm not going to tell you to, to, 
I'm not going to tell you to do any of those things. I'm going to ask us to, to, to consider what we were always meant to become in the first place. I'm going to, ask, I'm going to, I'm going to bring us on a journey and paint, try to paint a picture of what we were always supposed to look like and live from, from the beginning. And I think if we get that picture, if I, th- I think if we get that picture, then love actually is a byproduct. And that love actually isn't an option it's the only thing that will produce from us if we, really get, if we really grasp it, if we really get a clear picture of truth. So I want to I um, play a video here. And there's no sound. So it's a video about a caterpillar and how it kind of turns into a butterfly or a monarch butterfly emerging. So you see the caterpillar is, you know, you see the caterpillars, little kids, they love caterpillars. If you have kids, they, I, I used to love finding them. And then they go into this, this stage where they go into this, most people call them cocoons, but they're really chrysalises. Don't, don't worry if you get it wrong. It's okay. Um, and they go into this chrysalis form where they, where they sit inside of this, this chrysalis, and that's where they start to become, and they start to actually form to become this, the butterfly, the monarch butterfly that they're always destined to become in the first place. So you get this picture of a, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly through this process of being in this chrysalis, and I think it's so interesting how God actually, in nature, you can find so many consistencies with our journey with Christ. So through this metamorphous process where, the, where this caterpillar turns into a butterfly, you get this little thing with no wings, this little thing that crawls and is creepy on the ground. You get this, you get this thing that, that, that goes into a tree, huddles for about two weeks, and then emerges on its own and becomes this beautiful creature that we see flying in nature. Some things that I, that I was thinking through as I, as, I, as I thought about this is that the caterpillar is made in the image of a butterfly. The caterpillar was never born to be a caterpillar. The caterpillar was always born to be a butterfly. But the caterpillar will never become the butterfly without the process of metamorphosis. And the metamorphosis process takes roughly around two weeks. And if something were to happen, like a storm, or, 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 or maybe a bird came and found the, the chrysalis, and then, it, and then it pecks at it. And it br- you see, without the full two weeks, without the full process of going through this, this metamorphosis, the butterfly will never emerge to become the thing it was always created to be. I see some people are like, oh, I, see, I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to do here. I know what he's going to do. I know what connection he's going to make. It makes me think, and it made the connection about me, about us, and the image that we were always made to look like. What were we always supposed to look like? You see, because we... Humans, Romans 5, we were born into Adam, we were born into sin, we were born into a nature that we were never designed to look like in the beginning. When we're born, we're brought up in the way, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, 
but in the end, it leads to destruction. We're brought up in this way that seems right to a man. And we're brought up and our thought processes are formed. And we start looking at things. And there's cause and effect. There's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And there's, you do this to me and I'm going to do this to you. There's, there's all this back and forth worldly wisdom that we live in that we see the world from. And we bring it into even our Christianity sometimes. We see we're born into sin born into Adam, and it, made, it makes us look like we were never supposed to look in the first place. You see, some people, that's, some people we, we don't get it, and we stay in the position of living in, in the form of Adam. We stay living in our old thought process even when we come into Christ. Even when we come and, and we, we say, Jesus, I'm going to live for you, I'm going to live for you, and we have sincere hearts and we want to live for God, but we don't forsake and we don't turn away from our old mindset. We keep our mindset, but then we try to bring in, incorporate the Bible, and we try to incorporate the Word of God. And Jesus and the Bible and Christianity was never supposed to be incorporated. It was always supposed to be an entire life given to the gospel. We cannot incorporate the Bible. We cannot incorporate Jesus. We cannot incorporate God. It doesn't happen because it says if you do not love, you know, it's a different verse, but it applies. It says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot live in the world and live for God. You cannot have one foot in and one foot out. It can't happen. I've heard it said this way. Don't live on the fence. The fence belongs to the devil. Don't live life on the fence. You see, we can't just incorporate it because if we incorporate it, we're going to include our former wisdom, our former man, the way that seems right, the way that was before we came to Christ, and that can't coincide with the gospel, with truth. So we have to transform our minds, we have to transform and renew and change the way that we see the world so that we can actually start to become the thing that we were always created to be. Which brings me to my next point. What were we always created to be? What, what's, what are we supposed to look like then? What are we supposed to look like? If we're not supposed to look like the way that we brought up in the world. Because I'll tell you how I was brought up. Well, you know what the first, some of the first words that you hear like two-year-olds and three-year-olds say? You know what the first, who's got like little kids here? Who's got like little kids? Mine. Try to take a toy away from a two-year-old. See what happens. I, I laugh about this because I share it on stage and people think, I used to work at a daycare and I, I would work with like the two-year-olds. I didn't get the, people walk in like, what are you, what is a man doing work with my two-year-old? Is he a creep? What is, no, I'm not a creep, I promise. Um, if you take a toy away from a two-year-old, uh, not good. Mine, mine. No, mine, selfish, mine, yeah, yeah. From the time that we're a baby, all we know is selfishness. We're brought up in this, this way of thinking for ourselves, this way of meeting my needs, my needs, me, 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 me. And I'm wondering if it actually has filtered into our Christianity. So what are we supposed to look like? Let's go to Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds in the sky, and over the cattle, 
and it goes on. I'm focusing in here on, on the first part where it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So in the beginning, like this is Adam and Eve, this is before, this is, this is the beginning, the very, very, very beginning of humanity. He says, let us make man in our image. This brings us to our next point, or the same point that I brought up before. What is that image? What are we supposed to look like? Let's go to 1 John 4. Seven through, verses 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God, love does not know God because God is love. So God is love. The image of God is love. The image of God is love. Okay, now we're going to go somewhere else because, because what kind of love are we talking about? Are we talking about I love pizza? Are we talking about I love my wife? Are we talking about I love Michigan football, go blue? Come on. <laughs> Who said that? We're doing an altar call for all the state fans at the end, so be ready for that. And Ohio State fans, sorry, there's no hope for you. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Is this on video? I'm sorry. Take that part out. Sorry for anyone who's from Ohio. I'm sorry that you live in Ohio. <laughs> I'm terrible. My wife is like, oh, Jake. She was videoing me yesterday during the game. It was so, I was, I was on the edge of my seat the whole game, yelling at the TV. Oh, it's not good. He, the Lord's still working on me on that one. I'm not perfect, I assure you. So God is love. I totally lost where I was going. Okay, what kind of love? So we have this image, right? So we're trying to see, what are we supposed to look like as, as, as followers, as, hu as human beings? What were we created to look like in the beginning before sin entered the equation? Before sin ruined the way that we looked and still... So what are we supposed to look like? So we go and we say, God is love. Okay, then my next question is, what is love? What is love? There are like, I did some research, there are like six different Greek words that, are, that we would use as love. So there are six different words. So we only have, we have a very limited vocabulary in, in regards to the word love. And in the Greek, there were six different words that they used for love, different kinds of love. And I'm going to focus in on two of them because I believe these are very, very um, important to what we're going to be going through. So the first kind of love that, that, that they used in the Greek culture was this eros, or eros love, E-R-O-S, eros love. And I'm just going to read, and there, there is going to be a definition behind me. I'm just going to read it. It's, it's, well, I'm just going to read it. It is a love that is an emotional involvement based on body chemistry. The basic idea of this love is self-satisfaction. Though eros is directed towards another, it actually has self in mind. For example, I love you because you make me happy. The foundation of this type of love is some characteristic in the other person which pleases you. If the characteristic would cease to exist, the reason for the love 
would be gone. The result being, I don't love you anymore. Eros looks for what it can receive. If it does give, it gives in order to receive. If it fails to get what it wants or expects, bitterness or resentment, resentment could develop. <laughs> Eros, this literally, it makes me so angry. Because this Eros kind of love is the most common love that we as human beings experience. It's the love that's not even actually love. It's the love that is self-serving. It's the love that what's in it for me. It's the love that we've seen. And I'm not condemning anyone. I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn if you, anyone in this room. I'm just making an observation that most of us, if we're honest, the love that we've shown to other people is often self-serving. And no condemnation to anyone who's, who's had a divorce. I'm not pointing it out, but I'm saying is that there's a, about a 50% divorce rate in America, and I believe it's because we've operated from a false sense, and we've had an incorrect definition of love. We've looked at love as what can, it, what can it benefit me. We've looked at love as what's in it for me. If it's not easy, I'm done. Love, with strings attached, I'm going to scratch your back. Why don't you scratch mine? Always, just everything I do for you, there's always something in it for me. Always a string attached. And the reason why it breaks my heart is because we use, because this is why, because we say things as in church and in pastors, we come up here and we, we know what we mean, but, we, but when you receive this word, when, we, when, you, when you hear that God loves you, when you hear that God loves you, when you hear that God loves you, there's no platform for that word to be received in your life because you've never experienced love before. The only love that most often we've experienced is a selfish kind of love that people have used us and the people that loved us most can hurt us the most. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, once again, I'm, I know this is, this is like so intense, like, but the reality is this eros love needs to be eliminated from, from, from Christianity, it needs to be eliminated from our lives. Because it's the farthest thing from the truth impossible because it has an appearance of godliness, but it denies the power of it. It has appearance of selflessness, but it only is self, is only, is, it is only selfless in order to get something in return. It's deception at its finest. But let me tell you about a different kind of love. I get choked up every time I talk about it because it's the thing that changed my life. It's the agape love. Agape love. Let me read just a definition of it. It's called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the object love. It is a, is a love of esteem, of evaluation. It, is no, it has the idea of prizing, prized possession. It is the noblest word for, the, for love in the Greek language. Agape is not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, but originates in its own God-given nature. God is love. It delights in giving. This love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, and unworthy. It is unconditional love. Agape desires only the good of the one loved. It is a consuming passion for the well-being of others. 
This is God's love. But the problem is, if we're honest, and I'm fortunate enough that I've had parents who modeled this for me. So I grew up knowing what, experiencing what God's love was, the unconditional love. But the reality is that most people don't experience this kind of love. Most people don't experience the kind of love that always sees the best, always hopes, always perseveres, and never is, is dependent on your performance or the individual's performance. And this is God's love, and I think this is what's happened. Ryan and I, Ryan's right over here, we were kind of talking about this idea of God's love, and, and we kind of broken it, he broke it down, and I'm stealing this from him, to, to three different levels of God's love, or three different levels of love and how we understand it. There's love 1.0, which is eros love, the love that we understand growing up, which is every man for himself. I'm going to love so I can get something in return. I'm going to give so I can get, get something in return. I'm always looking out for myself, me, myself, and I. Selfishness. That's love 1.0. We have a definition of love. We have our own definition of love and our own understanding of love. Love 2.0. Maybe you get saved. Maybe you start coming to church. Maybe you hear about this unconditional love. Maybe you hear about this love that is a passion that loves you and will never stop loving you, that always hopes the best, always sees the best, always is giving, always is pursuing you, always is passionate about you. So you get this new definition of love, this unconditional agape love. So you get this definition and it's spoken to you, but you still maintain your original understanding of God's love because you've never experienced it. You've never had an, an, an encounter with this kind of love. It's actually a definition in your mind. It's not an experience or expression in your life. So love 2.0 is you have the correct definition, but the incorrect understanding. Or you have God's definition, but you have your own understanding. And this is where I think we, we're, we're moving towards tonight, is love 3.0. Which is this. When we have God's definition, and we have God's understanding. We have God's definition of love, agape love. And we have God's understanding, which means... Which means, you know, we actually, what it actually means? It means that we actually get into the chrysalis. It means we actually get into our bedrooms. It means we actually get into that secret place. It means we actually get into the place where we're actually, we're actually praying. We're actually connecting with God on a relational, on a relational platform. And we say, God, teach me. Teach me what this love is. Teach me what agape love is. God, I've never, this is the prayer life that, 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 that I, that I've had to go through consistently on a daily basis for, for, ever since I, I started learning about this, is I say, God, I have no idea what love is really, what is really about. God, I have no idea what love is really about, but I know my heart, my spirit resonates with your love, God. So teach me what love looks like, God. Teach me and lead me in, in agape love, God. Help me to never be selfish. Help me to never look out for my own, but always see the best, hope the best, and persevere, and, and always hope in every situation. God, I know in my own, my selfishness is still there, but God, I do not want the selfishness in my life anymore. God, I want my life to look just like your life. Love 3.0. The process of, of getting to the understanding of God's love only takes, only takes place with you and with God alone pursuing it. 
let me prop, let me let me add another dynamic to that. It makes that makes it sound like that you can actually earn it and you can actually work towards it. But that's not the case at all. It's not that we can actually earn or work our way into God's love, but there is a process that we actually work through our understanding of what love actually is. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that you can work through it, but I am saying that it takes work and discipline to go through the process of changing the way that you think about it. And changing the way that we think about the word love takes a process and takes prayer and takes discipline. Because the reality is is we've learned how to think for however old you are, You've learned what love was for you add that many of years that you're alive. You've learned and been thinking about love for that many years. And God, yes, I believe in miracles. I believe God can change something in a moment. But there's also discipline. And there's also working out your your salvation with fear and trembling. 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 So let's go back to image, image, love. What are we supposed to look like in the beginning? So we're supposed to, all along, what we're supposed to look like is agape love. The only reason why we're alive, the only reason why I'm alive, you're alive, is to look like agape love. Because when we look and operate from agape love, the world sees it and they glorify our Father in heaven. And we actually start reproducing agape love in the world. And we're not just Christians waiting for Jesus to return. No, we're people on a mission saving everyone we come in contact with. We're not saving them. You get, you get the point. God is saving them through our lives and through our, the testimony of our life. Can I share another verse with you? This, one's just, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It's from Ephesians 3. It says in that, it's verses 18 and 19. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to, excuse me, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is that agape love, Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. I want to read the last part of that, of verse 19, real quick, because it shows us why we need to grasp the love of God. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So, the reason why God wants us to grasp love is so that we'll look just like God. And, and, and this, this verse actually gives a picture of like a tree. It gives a picture of like a root system that digs down. It says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. So get a picture of a tree being rooted in love, right? Its, it's roots are digging down into agape love. Rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. So why do you, you need to have that deep rooted understanding of agape love so you can grasp how wide how long and how deep the father's love is for us and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so when we're rooted in love actually our capacity for understanding god loves increases 
So when we understand how much, the, the, when we understand this agape love and we're rooted in it and we get into our bedroom and, and we get into our secret place and we actually start to pray about this agape love and we ask God, God, show me what this is. Show me what this is. Increase my understanding. Increase it, God. I do not know what this feels like. I've never experienced agape love. God, I ask that you show me what agape love is tonight. This is prayer. This is communicating with God. And as he, as he gets you rooted and established in love, he reaches out to the left, out to the right, how deep, how wide, how long, how great the Father's love is for us. But if we're not rooted in agape love, we'll be looking for love in all the wrong places. Because we all have a need for love. In the beginning, when, we, when Adam sinned, he got cut off from God. And the image, remember, his image is love. The image that he was created for in the beginning, love, was broken off. So now his need for love was not met through God anymore. So now Adam's looking for love in all the wrong places. And we're born into that. So now we're growing up learning, needing this love, looking for love everywhere but the Father. We're looking at it through relationships, through friendships, through our job. We're trying to get all this, this, this whole, this, this need in our life for God's love. We've been looking for it everywhere. We've been looking for it in marriage. We've been looking for it with, with everything, our jobs, with our status. With that. We've been desperately trying to find this thing to fill this hole in our, in our life. And God's saying, I'm the only one who can fill it. Because until we understand it, we're always going to be looking out for ourselves and we were never made to look out for ourselves. We were never made to live for ourselves. When we live for ourselves, we're dying daily. Jesus has called us to a higher level. It's called love. He's called us to a higher level, which is selflessness. And it's produced after his own image. But here's the reality. We can't just be selfless so that we look more like God because... You see, there, there, are, there are ways that, the, that we as Christians have, like, have, have talked about love and modeled love, and it's actually all, the only, thing, the only reason why we do it is to make ourselves look good. So that we go and we're nice and we go in the community and we, and we, we love some people, we might, give the, we might feed the poor, we might, we might feed the homeless, we might give to the poor, but then we go and we, and we tell everyone what we did. And we say, look, we love our community. And I'm not saying that's us. I'm saying this is a trap that we fall into because we say we're loving people, but we're getting notoriety for ourselves. And we call it love. Let me tell you about love. I got one person on, on, on track over here. That's about it. I'm waiting for you all to get on track. Let me tell you about love. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm feeling it right now. We might go till about 9 o'clock if I keep going, but... My wife's like, it's past my bedtime. It's like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> Sorry, babe. First Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. This is a big one. It is not self-seeking. I'm going to do the dishes tonight because maybe <laughs> my, Lord, my, my parents are like, what the heck? Is he? <laughs> I'm sorry, this is terrible. <laughs> well, I'm going to well, I'm going to 
I'm going to give. <laughs> I'm going to hope that maybe some people see me give because then they see me give then they might think that I'm actually a generous person. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this person such a great word of encouragement. Oh, this word of encouragement I'm going to give them, it's just gonna, really going to bless them. And then we're waiting. We're waiting for them just to say, oh my gosh, thank you, that just made my day. Oh my gosh, you don't know how much that meant to me. You see like where we just miss it just a little bit? To where we think we're being loving, but we're just being so, we're just selfish. And I don't think it's because we mean it, I just think because we have a poor definition of love. And we actually don't see how much God loves us. And we actually just don't see how much God is pursuing us. He's relentless towards us. And he wants us to get that we're seated with him in the heavenly realms. And it's not based on anything that you do. He's waiting for us to understand that we don't have to earn our way into his house. We don't have to earn our way into the throne. We don't have to earn our way into a place where God is happy with us. We just so desperately want to please God in our life. So we do all these things and we try to get, but in reality, and we have our lives and we have our Christianity and we have our Christian walk and we're, we're doing it all, most often times for what's in it for me. You come to church. Well, you know what? I, 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 I just didn't really like that message tonight. Jay, you know, Pastor, I like Jake. He's passionate. He's kind of weird, but, you know, I just don't really know if I liked it. I just don't really know if I liked it. Maybe. And I'm not saying, I know you all are going to love this message, so I'm not worried about that. But um, sometimes I, I think we've turned church into something that it was never meant to be. What if we came to church and we said, or this, is, this isn't even a better one, okay? And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm just trying to say what I hear from people. And, and it kind of just irks me. So I, I, just, I just, you know, I just, don't get, I just don't get fed at that church. I just don't get fed there. Well, you're supposed to eat like seven days a week. And maybe you're not supposed to eat at this place. Maybe you're, supposed to, maybe you're the one who's supposed to be loving the people around you. Maybe you're the person who's supposed to come in and see the person who's sitting there all alone, walk next to him, pray for him, and walk through, him, through life with them. And maybe, 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 just maybe, we'll get what it looks like to have a family of believers who are bearing each other's burdens and who are actually walking in love with each other. And maybe we'll start seeing a group of people who actually love and who aren't coming to church for the sole purpose of what's in it for me. Well, that message just doesn't apply to me. Well, go listen to the one. They're all, on, they're all on YouTube. They're all online. Go listen to the previous one and become that one. Become the word that you heard. And I think we've, I just, part of me just, this thinks that we've turned the gospel, we've turned Christianity into a self-serving thing. Yedas love, self-serving. Something interesting about Yedas love, remember, that's the love that's like only looking, me, 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 me. This is the love that we say, it's for others, but it's really just for me. It's interesting because Yedas love is not found in the Bible. If you look for the, the word Yedas, you'll never find it in the Bible. 
it wasn't worthy to even be mentioned in the Bible. Let's not let it be worthy of even being existing in our lives. If it's not in God's vocabulary, don't let it be in our lives. We can't let it be in our lives. And what we realize is this, is this is what I've noticed. I've noticed that when we start pressing into this thing called agape love, selfless love, when we start pressing into it, there's this thing in our mind that clicks. I've had it all the time. It says, well, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can go all the way. I don't know if I'm going to give my whole life to the gospel. I don't know. I don't know. I want to hold on to me. I got all these bills. I got my family. I got this. I like doing this. Is God going to ask me to give up that? Listen, the things that God is going to ask us to give up are the things that we were never made for in the beginning. We have this conversation in our mind that says, I don't know if I can give my all to God. Here's the reality is because we think that it's about us. We are holding on to our life. And if you read the gospel, if you read Jesus' life, what, this, what is the thing that he consistently says to his disciples and to anyone who wants to follow him? He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. If we are holding on to our lives, we'll never pursue Jesus because it can't happen. He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And most of us think that, well, that's extreme, that's extreme. No, it's the only way to live. If we live halfway in, halfway out, I got my life over here, I got my life over here. Listen, you're going to be discontent, discouraged, and you're going to be looking for love. The reason why Jesus tells us to deny ourselves is because ourselves are the th is the thing that's keeping us from his love. Our own self is the barrier between us and God's love. That's why he says, deny it. Our head up here, our thinking, the way that seems right, the way that we've been taught is the thing that's been holding us back. And Jesus says, deny it, deny your flesh, deny your selfishness and follow me. It's the only way to live. It's the only way to live in the body of Christ. And I understand we have a group of people here, and this, we have so many people coming from all different walks of life, all different stages of life. But here's the common thread that we all can take away from, from tonight, from this message, from hearing about agape love. The common theme or the common thread that we can take with us is that agape love is for you. Whether, you've, whether you're 1.0, you've never heard about agape love and you have your own definition of love and your own understanding of love, or your 2.0, where you've heard of agape love, but you don't understand or have experienced agape love, or your 3.0, which means that you've actually, where you've, you have God's definition and you have God's understanding, and you're walking in this beautiful relationship with Jesus. But the beautiful thing about God, remember it says in Ephesians 3, it says, and you're rooted, and you know how wide and how deep and how great God's love is for you. How deep, it means your roots are deep, but he wants you to go deeper, and he wants you to go wide. Why does he want you to go wide? Because he wants you to love everyone. He wants you to touch people and love them with agape love. When people experience agape love, they cannot resist. They might for a little bit. Because they might think that you have selfish motives. But when your life on display reveals agape love, they always come running back because they're in desperate need for it. And then when they come to us and they say, well, you have this love, I don't know what, other, I don't understand it. And you say, let me introduce you to Jesus. There's always room for more. So whether you're 1.0, you've never heard of agape love, 
and you've carried your own understanding of love your whole life, or your 2.0, or your 3.0, there's room for more. God's plan and destiny for you is not exempt, you're not exempt from your destiny. You're not disqualified from your destiny just because of mistakes or because you're a certain amount of years old. This is what I, this is another, this is related, but it, it, it plays into, I had a strong burden, Ryan and I were praying over this, over tonight, and this is, we both had this, this same thread, the same message, which was, we need to encourage people who may be a little bit older than myself to keep dreaming. You're not done yet. Dream big. Incorporate God's love with your dreams. Just because you're 50 or 60 or 70 or maybe even 80, your life can be used by God in phenomenal ways still. And when we start to understand God's love, when we start to press in to know that God loves us without a shadow of a doubt, and we start to understand it, there's a, there's a truth in God's kingdom, which is this. God will never give us what he does not want us to become. God gives us peace, right? He's, he, he gives us peace. Doing what Jesus calls us in Matthew 5 peacemakers. God gives us mercy. You know why he gives us mercy? Because he wants us to be merciful. God gives us forgiveness. Do you know why he gives us forgiveness? Because he wants us to be forgivers. Everything that God gives us is intended for us to become. And he gives us love. He gives us his very image, which is the image of love. And he wants us to become it in every area of life, which means when we have coworkers, when we have bosses, when we have family, when we have our spouses, when we have anyone who comes around us, we know that we're loved. And when we know that we're loved and we're selfless, we're going to love by reaction because we don't know any other way. There's a, group, there, there's a thought process that, that goes out there that's, I'm just going to receive God's love for me and I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm just gonna, I don't care how you treat me because God loves me. He loves me, me, me. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It says the second is like it. They can't be disconnected. When you know God, when you love God, you'll love people automatically, no, no questions asked. And we're going to see a group of people, if we can get this and press into this thing called agape love, we're going to have a group of people who are unstoppable in our city, in our businesses, in our families, because the world is waiting for Christians to step up, to be consistent, and to be love. Not selfish. Not, we got to get rid of these things, guys. Like, we got to get rid of these things, these strings that we attach, like, yeah, let me, <laughs> with our families, we're being kind to them, trying to get them to come, uh, come to church. We're trying to get them to do all these things. We're attaching all these strings to, to our love and to our kindness to people. And I'm saying keep inviting people to church. I'm not saying don't invite them to church, but I'm just saying we have to, to get rid of the strings and we just have to love people. Agape. So I'm going I'm to close here if I'm just going to end just with a simple question. Simple question is where are you at?
Are you 1.0? Are you love 1.0? Love 2.0? Or love 3.0? Where are you at? Jesus, we just want to know you more. God, we, uh, God I, I just thank you, God, for your presence that's here. I thank you for your grace that is rushing through this place, God, transforming our perspective and changing our understanding, aligning to what your word says, aligning to what your truth says. And I thank you, God, that you said the truth will set us free. I thank you for the truth of Jesus, for the truth of agape love, God. And I pray that, God, I pray that your agape love will override any previous experiences with love, God, that our, that our experience with agape love goes far and beyond anything that any human can do, God, that your Holy Spirit rushes in and meets us where we're at, God. God, I thank you that there's nothing that we could have done. There's nothing that could have been done to us that disqualifies us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is love. I thank you for God the Father, who is love. And I thank you for Jesus, who expresses that love, who's here right now. So God, I pray that you meet us here. We team up our faith with your grace, God. And we just thank you for transformation that's happening right now. That minds are being renewed, God. That, re that repentance and change of thought process is happening, God. That we would understand how much we're loved, God. We can understand who you are and who we are created to be. And we thank you for Jesus. Whose life on the cross and whose life in general modeled what we were supposed to look like. We thank you for his life that he paid for our sins. We thank you that he took sin off of us. Sin is gone. That we feel to believe in your name, God, we're saved. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.